Welcome to the Good Money Habits podcast, where we marry financial education with tips from the experts on how to develop good money habits. Knowing what your options are around your finances is one thing, how to translate the knowledge into action for results is quite another. We're all about helping others take steps to gain financial stability, to live a better life. This podcast is brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. It is important to understand that today's episode is of general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situations or needs and may not be appropriate for you. We all go through times in our lives when we feel overwhelmed, exhausted, burnt out and anxious, only to be left with a feeling of helplessness about how to even start making changes for the better. I'm here in the studio today with Bronwyn Shortino, award-winning businesswoman and author who has taken lessons from her personal life experiences to help people try to overcome these very life challenges, to live the life they want to live. Bronwyn, welcome to Good Money Habits. Hi, Julia. It's so great to be here today. It's so fantastic to have you. When we uh, caught up in Frio for a coffee recently, um, it was so interesting where the conversation took us and um, I was so grateful that you shared your story with me and it's something that I'd really like to dig into today, if that's okay with you, because I do really feel it's, it's a story to be shared. But at the heart of it, you know, stress, burnout and exhaustion have almost become the norm um, in in our lives. Can you share your experience with with burnout and I guess the moment when your world changed? Yeah, sure. Um, You're absolutely right. You know, overwhelm and stress and burnout is is something that's just accepted these days as normal. Um, And we've almost got to the point where we believe that no stress equals no success. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, you know, in the very early days of my career, somebody, you know, telling me that uh, for me to get ahead, I had to be the first in the office, the last to leave. And they didn't care what I was doing outside, you know, work in inverted commas hours. But I had to be seen to be doing the hours mm. before I would be accepted as being committed and, and you know, being allowed to progress through the organisation. Um, and and that's quite cultural, isn't it? To it, you know, and I think about law firms sort of jump out of my mind. I shouldn't pick a, a profession, but that yep. whole thing about you know the really long hours in the day and so on—it's quite prolific and historic, almost and embedded culturally for some professions. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. Like you know, the law profession does jump out, but it's certainly not not, not, on, not, its not, not on its own. You <laughs> yeah. know? Um, and uh, you know, so from a very young age, I was schooled in you know being seen to be as the you know uh, char- the characteristics of what you needed to do uh, to get ahead mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think that for me um, when you look at my personal characteristics as well you know a lot of the strength and, and the core of who I am is about service to others uh, and so when I then overlaid that message of you have to be there for long hours and you have to do this and you have to do that, that accelerated for me this situation of constantly being in service to others yeah. for extraordinary periods of time uh, and you know it all came to a head for me after I'd spent almost two decades in the corporate world mm-hmm. um, and I'm by no means blaming the corporate world, it's not the corporate world's fault, it was who I was within the corporate world world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important that we take responsibility for who we are and, and our role in, in our lives and the choices that we've made. Um, but I'd spent that, you know, t- almost two decades uh, running around after everybody else, 
looking after what everybody else needed, making sure that everybody else was okay. Uh, And within that, there was no room for me and there was nothing that I did that looked after me and made sure that I was okay. Mm And basically what happened was, uh, you know, I was highly successful in what I did. Um, And one day uh, my life shattered. Uh, You know, I literally went from being an award-winning executive to on the floor, unable to cope in the basics in life and unable to stop crying. And that happened in less than 60 seconds. Uh, And it came off the back of a diagnosis... um, I'd been misdiagnosed for, with psoriasis for eight years uh, and um, I'd then been told, no, it's not psoriasis, it's a skin cancer and you're going to need plastic surgery. Yeah. Uh, and I just pushed through all of that, Had gave myself half a day to have six centimetres of my head cut out mm-hmm. uh, and then went back to work that afternoon looking after everybody else. I cannot believe you went back to work, <laughs> Bronwyn. Like I'm still just staggered by that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, looking back on it, it was so normal. It's, it was so normal for me and, and for where I was at. Uh, and just so ingrained into who you thought you needed to be. Yep, and making mm. sure that everybody else is okay. Uh, and it was, wasn't until I went back for my post-op checkup and they took the bandages off uh, and I saw the wound for the first time and it completely dropped me, the shock of seeing the wound. Uh, and my life completely changed in that moment. So tell me, you've, you've, you've written a couple of books, Bronwyn, and, and you talk about the first one as being part of that healing process. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like, literally that reflection, you know, coming back at you um, and that that moment of something has to change, right? I I can't – something has to change. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, it's a huge personal cost um, that you you wore um, having been through that incredible – I guess um, almost martyrdom is the word that kind of comes to mind, if I'm honest. Um, and we're all we've all been guilty of it. I mean, yep. absolutely um, the same. If I think about early in my career as well, and not to say I didn't enjoy working hard, and, and I do believe in work ethic, but it's that whole putting your own oxygen mask on, isn't it? At at the end of the day, um, first. But can you tell me about the book and and how that helped you? Yeah. So. Uh when I was in my sort of, um, you know, it took me three years to recover. So let's let's yeah. get that out there. Yeah. It's not a five-minute process. When, yeah. you, when you push your life to that point where you completely shatter, it was three years yeah. of the most intensive, overwhelming uh, and invasive, really, uh, work that I had to do. And I don't mean that from the point of view of the people around me. I mean from the searching within myself that I had to do to put the pieces back together. Yeah. Um, and it is hard. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was, you know, creating Bronwyn 2.0. Yeah. Um, and as part of that process, uh, we uncovered that I was terrified of writing anything personal down. Uh, And, uh, you know, because if I'd written something personal down, somebody might have been able to use that against me to prove that I wasn't perfect. Um, And, you know, how complex is that little nugget, you know? Um, And that was was running under as like the structure and the platform of my life. Uh, And... So, you know, when you're in that environment and you've, you're working with a counsellor and you uncover a fear like that, it becomes your homework. Uh, so yeah. I had to go home and, and, and try to start journaling and that was my homework. And I was so afraid of it. It took three weeks to write one word on the page. Wow. Um, it, was, it was really, really 
uh, traumatic for me and overwhelming and I did not, I could not see a way through that process. I thought I was going to be stuck there forever. Uh, And it was around about the same time that I put my toe in the water to go back into social situations and start seeing people because I hadn't been able to cope with anyone around me. I literally, it was the basics in life. That was it. And even that was, you know, traumatic for me. Uh, And so I put my toe in the water and because I had this overwhelming emotion and not being able to stop crying, there were very few things that I could talk about without just completely dissolving into tears in front of everyone. Yeah. Um, and journaling was one of the few things that I could actually talk about without just completely dissolving into tears. Yeah. And as I started talking to people about what I'd started journaling about, everyone just kept saying to me, you have to write a book. The world needs this. You know, Everybody's struggling with this. And initially I was I was just so taken aback and I was, you know, can you people not see just how broken I am and now you want me to write a book for everybody else, you know? Yeah, um, I've, I've just jumped off a cliff and you're going to make me jump <laughs> off another one. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm completely smashed and shattered yeah. at the bottom of the cliff, but hey, let me climb back up and jump yeah, again wow. sort of thing. Mm. Um, but what it did was give me that, that sort of middle ground to come back to because I had been... You know, I'd come from a world where every second was triple scheduled <laughs> and I'd gone to the opposite extreme of the pendulum where there was nothing. I had nothing to do, nobody to deliver anything to, nobody that I was responsible for, nobody I had to do anything for. There was literally just me to focus on. Uh, and starting to write brought me back to the middle. It gave me something mm-hmm. which I could dip my toe in and out of. I could sort of do at my own pace. I didn't have to meet deadlines or, you know, a certain word count that I had to meet or any of that sort of stuff. And as I got into that process, um, keep it super simple, you know, yeah. <laughs> came about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it really was part of my recovery. It was so cathartic and, and healing for me. And, you know, I would write, um, you know, a couple of paragraphs and I'd be on the floor crying for hours afterwards, you know. Yeah. It took nine months to write that book um, and that really healed me. But then when it was published, it went out into the world and it really started healing everyone else as well, um, which was extraordinary. And it is extraordinary because when you read it, you can feel that, you can feel that vulnerability. Um, and as you say, it's like it's you read it as if it's been written for you, which is a really, as in personally as well, you know, I'm sure that's the response that many readers have when they do read it. And it's 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 interesting to hear your journey as a, as a family. Uh, whilst I didn't personally go through it, my brother um, had a had a terrible accident in his late teens and suffered a very traumatic brain injury. And in in all honesty, it's been a 10, 15, 20 year recovery process. But what I do know to be true is that the brain has a phenomenal ability to heal itself if you give it the space, the time, the right environment. And it was interesting watching that as a sister, almost helplessly sort of watching on and watching his journey um, back to where he got to and and he tackled that in a different way. Um, But I think at the the heart of all of this, um, it comes back to what are the choices we're making in our lives? And I know that uh, the thing that really resonated for me in your book was this concept of simplicity because before, you know, you read a lot about decluttering and, and you know, is it the Marie Kondo and all that kind of thing. Um, at, but at the end of the day, part of you thinks is simplicity about having less. And what you come away with after reading the book is it's not that at all. 
No, and I think, you know, that's, that's, you know, one of the impressions that I get asked about a lot is, you know, simplicity must mean you're a minimalist or yeah. you have to declutter or you, you have to miss out on things. You have to, surely you have to go to fewer things and, um, you know, you have fewer friends and you have fewer clothes and you have less, less, less. And it's actually not about that at all. Simplicity really is about reconnecting with yourself, understanding what's really important to you and then mm. finding the simplest way to give that to yourself. Yeah. And so how do you, um, recommends maybe not the right word, but what's the process that people can go through to really get to the heart of what really matters to them and how important is it to have alignment with your values in all of this? <laughs> yeah, so the answer to your question is your values. Yeah, it's absolutely okay. your values. You yeah. have to know what your values are. Uh, and values is not something that's really taught to us in general everyday society. Mm. Um, and the more I've learned about them, the, the more I question why. Why are we not taught about this, you know? Yeah. Um, because we're every, you know, I think as you grow up, um, everybody's so busy conditioning you. And, and telling you what's right about you and what's wrong about you and what's good and what's bad and what's acceptable and what's not. Uh, and you shape and you mould yourself to fit what you think is yep. the most appropriate version of yourself in the world. Um, and in that process, we lose, we lose sight of, you know, what is important to us? What do we stand on? aligned with what you know what are our values um and the more we understand what our values are the more we understand what is important to us the more we understand our i am characteristics so you know those things where you say you know i am strong i am loving i am kind i am you know as opposed to i am you know hateful and I'm, yeah. I'm mean and nasty and whatever else and there's nothing wrong necessarily with those things if they're your characteristics but it's about understanding what your characteristics are so that you can stand and align with those as opposed to just constantly being in this place of being shaped and molded by everybody else and then having the trigger points pushed so that you're just constantly outraged by what you see around you I think yeah. you know the sooner we get to a point where we all know what our values are. We all know what's important to us and we can just move our lives in that direction and let everybody else do the same thing, the better off we're all going to be. I agree. And listening to that word that you said, conditioning, because social conditioning is kind of what was jumping into my mind. And something we've spoken about quite a lot on this podcast is the definition of success or society's definition of success. And that we've perhaps got it all wrong. I mean, I, I read in one of your articles that you're also friends with Christina Cabrera, who I've also interviewed around the psychology of money. And it is all interconnected. But to what degree do you think our choices are, are blurred by fear of what other people are going to think? Um, I think that they're blurred by fear of what other people are going to think. I think they're blurred by fear of missing out. Um, I think they're ble they're blurred by you only live once. Like there's all these yeah. there's all these acronyms now that rule and run our life. Um, and I think we're only afraid of what other people will think because we're very busy not being the true version of ourselves. Yeah. When you know who you are and you you know at the absolute core what it is that makes you up and what your characteristics are, it's so much easier to just let people do what they're going to do. Yeah, and live and let live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And one of the best sayings I've ever heard is, what someone else thinks about me is none of my business. <laughs> 
I like that. That's good. <laughs> it's yeah. literally none of my business yeah. because that's their stuff, not mine. That's right. Yeah. Um, what I if if you know who you are and you know that what you're doing is 100% aligned with who you are, what someone else thinks about you is completely irrelevant. So for people who are listening to this and it's maybe hitting a bit of a nerve or it's resonating, but there's potentially a sense of overwhelm, right? As soon as we start thinking about making change, it just feels like a big giant brick wall we've got to climb over. Do people need to start from scratch? You know, what, what does it take? Yeah, well, you can take the benefit of my learning here. <laughs> I've had to start from scratch. Yeah. Um, you know, I literally, my life literally imploded yeah. and, and it was like having a million pieces of myself on the floor around me and I had to pick those up and put them back together to create, you know, Bronwyn 2.0, literally. Yeah. Um, and what I can tell you is you don't throw everything out. <laughs> you know, um, it, The process is literally, um, you know, you look at the pieces and you say, okay, that one's that one's fabulous in the format that it's in. Yeah. That one's great, but it needs tweaking a little bit. Yeah. And this bit over here, well, okay, I, I'm really grateful for everything that that bit has done for me, but I don't need that moving forward. So thank you so much, but I'm leaving you behind. And the reality is most of the pieces are okay in, in the exact format that they are. Yeah. Then you've got sort of, you know, the next level down is the bits that need a little bit of tweak. And there's a few bits that yeah. you don't take forwards, you know. Yeah. And what I learned from that is tiny, tiny little things, tiny things that you do differently make significant change in your life. You don't throw everything out even when you get to the point where everything is shattered, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is one of the biggest misbeliefs that holds us back from, from really making significant change and a significant difference in the way we live our life. That's something I really took away from the book was the power of those simple changes and uh, again rather than trying to do it all at once just small changes as you say really to some degree because life can be busy and we are so distracted and thinking about all these other things it's taking those quiet moments isn't it to actually stop and think how does this feel and and if I dare say tap into our intuition as well which I think can get suppressed when you're busy and we're in the world of social media and and everything else that's going on around us. So I think that's important. The other thing that I picked up from the book was the power of language. And and that's something that I, even before we met, was important. Um, It really resonated strongly that, you know, the the words we choose do genuinely shape our world, don't they? Yeah, and I think, like, I just want to touch on that intuition a little bit as well. It doesn't get suppressed by busyness. It's actually suppressed by conditioning. We turn it off because we're so busy shaping ourselves into the version that we think is appropriate. And our intuition will often go against what we've been told is right and wrong. And that's the gut feel going, hang on a minute, you're a bit off track here. Correct. Mm. Um, But we tend to ignore that because somebody else has said, no, this is what's wrong with you and this is what your solution is. And so we turn our intuition off because that might take us in a different way and that's scary. Um, and our intuition, you're absolutely spot on. Our intuition is there to guide us. It is there to help us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the question then becomes why Why would we want to turn that off? Yeah, that's right. And it's maybe not even a conscious thing. Um, something that always strikes me when I go on holidays is that's when things come to me, you know, it's just crazy, right? You, you, um, and maybe it's not crazy because that is literally you're giving your brain space, yep. aren't you? Um, so we've got to stop feeling guilty about going on holidays and, and, and you talk about rest. 
yeah. and the importance of rest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've actually recently written an article talking about why you want your everyday life to mimic your holidays. Ah, uh, there you go. I haven't read that one, by the way, but I, I will after this. Um, yeah, yeah. And it is all about, if you think about when you're on holidays, mm. um, your uh, just your whole demeanour and your whole approach to life completely shifts. It does. Um, you're more relaxed. You sleep better. Uh, you're more adventurous. Uh, you're, you're more prepared to go and try new things. Yeah. And you don't hang your entire life's success on whether or not what you try works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, I like to say, you know, let's rewrite the dictionary and get rid of the word success and failure. Just uh, just take them out okay. of the dictionary completely yeah. and instead replace that with adventure and explore. Yeah. Um, you know, and let's understand that we put a lot of emphasis on good and bad in life. Yeah, we do. And actually there is no good and bad. There's just a whole heap of information that's really good so or really useful for us. Mm-hmm. So if you think about... Uh, you know, you put your toe in the water and you try something out. So if you're on holidays, you go to a new restaurant mm. and you try a food that you've never had before and you love it, that's a, that's immediate mm. information for you mm. that that's, you know, something that you could explore further. There's more down that pathway for you to learn, no yeah. experience. Yeah. If you hate it, that's amazing information in the moment as well. You're ruling something out. <laughs> Actually, you don't mm. need to keep going down that pathway to try 400 different styles of that food because you didn't like it. Yeah. Actually, just put your attention somewhere else and give something else a go. And if we live our lives like that, it drops the pressure yeah. out of the bottom of life and it allows us to kind of explore and have a bit more fun. And And when we live like that, life just flows more freely. And thinking about the adventure and explore, it feels like you're taking me back to my childhood, right? Exactly. Where um, I think about, you know, the things I would tackle or have a go at yep. and, you know, if it didn't work out, well, that's okay. You get a scraped knee and away you go again. Yep. Do we, as we get older, do we become less inclined to push out of our comfort zone and try new things? Is that is that the social conditioning again? Yeah. Right, but almost banging us into a corner. Yeah, I think um, there's a point, you know, where you transition from a child into seriousness. Yeah. Um, and no, I don't know, uh, most people can't pinpoint that point in their lives, but the messaging that you get from around you suddenly changes and the expectations on you change, right? So instead of um, being allowed to play and explore and and really be creative and all of those sorts of things, you start to get the messages around life's more serious. You have to start thinking about what you're going to be when you grow up. Responsibility. Responsibility, and, punctuality, mm. <laughs> um, you know, all of these things. And they're things that you need in lifetime because, you know, there are times when we have to be punctual. I mean, can you imagine if you're not punctual and you're playing? goes without you or you know there, there are times when you yeah. need those skills yeah. and they're good to have but yeah. we let them overrun our lives mm-hmm. um, and you know it's almost like this unwritten rule somewhere where you know life's now serious and you're on the drive to success yeah. and you must take it seriously and you've got to do everything you can because if you don't you're going to fall behind and falling behind is like death. And that's what what we're made to feel, aren't we, at Absolutely. the end of the day? Yeah. So to make that space in our life and to give ourselves, I guess, the freedom and space to sit with it and, and make those choices, 
how do we get around saying no without offending? Because that's always our biggest fear, right? Well, it's one of mine. I don't want to offend anyone. I want to say yes. Um, but sometimes I know it's, that thing is just not right at that moment for me or it's it's going to take time or energy away from other things that are maybe more important. Yeah. Um, I think... <laughs> That word, no. <clears throat> that word, no. You know, I'm joking on it now, right? <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, that word, no, is so scary for so many of us. Yeah. And especially if you're built to serve. If, yeah. if one of, one of like a big part of you, like a big part of me, is serving other people. Yeah, likewise. Saying no to someone, you know, the guilt, the shame, the everything else that goes with that um, can be so, uh, you know, overpowering and overwhelming that it can feel easier to just say yes. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, what happens with the word yes is that often it's used on autopilot and we don't think about what we're saying yes to. We just mm -hmm. go, somebody needs me, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And there's no real thinking around the implications of what that means. Yeah. You know, so this is why I put an entire chapter in Keep It Super Simple called No Is a Complete Sentence. Yes. Um, yeah. I think, you know, if you think about when you've had to say no for something yeah. and you feel that need to explain and over-explain yeah. why it is you're saying no, um, and I think you know, you go down these pathways because you want people to still think nicely and kindly of you for saying no, um, but actually if you think about the number of times that you just say, um, thank you, but not the right opportunity for me, or, um, you know, just a very short, sweet mm, no, honest. with yeah. no explanation, um, it's just accepted. You yeah. know, there's very few times where people will come back and say, oh, but, or, oh, could you reconsider? Or they just go, oh, okay, she's not coming. She's not doing that. She's, and they move on to the next person. And I think, you know, we have to get to a point where we're really comfortable Saying yes to the things that align to who we are, to the, that fuel us. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you know, you get to a situation where I was, where you're just constantly saying yes to everything and you're just constantly draining energy from an already empty tank. And then you feel like life's controlling you. Well, you don't when even feel, you're numb. You, yeah. Yeah. You, you don't even, you're yeah. not even feeling True. anymore. You're just, you're literally like a zombie just going through life, mm. draining every ounce of energy that you've got. And you drain until the tank is empty. And if you're anything like me, you find a way to give more. <laughs> after the tank Vapors. is, after there's nothing mm. left, you, you give yeah. more. Um, and I think, you know, it's really important that we learn how to, um, Find the things that energize us yeah. and, and we can still serve. Like I give so much more now than I have ever given in my life, but I do it from a base of a fully, fully fueled energy tank yeah. and it makes such a difference. And you can hear that. Yeah. that that's, I'm, I'm sure the listeners can hear that as well. In your second book, I want to I touch on that. You talk about the economy of enough and that really um, feeds nicely into what we're trying to do in this podcast, which is around not only knowledge um, about money, but importantly, skills and building habits and that kind of thing. Something that I've uh, recognised a few years ago, and, and the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me, is that having financial stability and financial security in your life is like the ballast in the keel. You know, if it's, if it's off balance, if you've got a lot of stress and anxiety in that part of your life, it's going to be far more challenging to be able to capture that simplicity to sit back and think about what it is you want and feel like you've got the headspace to do it 
So um, for people who are wanting to, I guess, um, think about making changes in their lives around around money, you know, simple decisions, they don't need to be big ones. That's the message today. <laughs> Little ones make a difference too. Through, I guess, your experiences, what stands out for you as um, some tips that people maybe could think about in that regard? Yeah, well, I, my my two years in the corp, my twenty years in the corporate world, my two years, my twenty years in the corporate world um, was in the financial services and funds management industry. So, yeah. um, you know, I had a lot of really first hand. Um, looks, if you like, at, mm. at the struggles that people have. Um, and one of the biggest things that I noticed was um, the number of people who felt like they had to do something. They had to put a plan in place that was so complex. They couldn't understand it. They had no idea what was going on, but such and such said, I have to, therefore I have to. And that caused so much stress for them because they really – they had no level of comfort and no real understanding of what was happening with their money, where it was going, what, mm. what it was being used for um, and how it was actually working for them. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, my number one tip is if you're going to do anything a- around planning for your finances and your money, make sure that you can explain to somebody else in less than five minutes how that how that is structured and how it's working for you. Yeah. Um, because the simpler it is, the easier it is for you to actually just uh, allow that to happen. Um, and I think, you know, we need to understand that, you know, money is an energy exchange, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we've been, again, been taught that money is either good or bad. Yes. And yeah. it's not, it's actually... It's the root a, of all evil. Uh, yeah, mm. or somebody is obscenely rich mm. or, you know, yeah. there's all these sort of things. Again, the language around money. Absolutely. Um, and I think um, number two is get comfortable talking about money. You know, because it's one of those things where, you know, we, we just don't want to talk about it because we don't want our friends to think we're bragging and we don't want mm-hmm. our friends to know we've got less than them or more than them or, you know, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. Um, just get comfortable talking about money because um, the more we talk about it, the more we the more we understand it, the more we engage with it, uh, the more it flows more easily in our lives, you know. Um, And I think also another great thing is, like you said, it's the small, simple things that make a big difference. Um, You know, it's the five or ten dollars or a hundred dollars or five hundred dollars or whatever it is you can afford to just to, to just pop away and um and do things a little differently and make that work for you mm. as opposed to constantly giving to everybody else yeah spend less than you earn and tuck a little bit away absolutely and uh, when you do that have regard for you know the basics and, yep. and it really does come back to the basics of inflation diversification and compound interest yep. you know understanding those things and as you say getting that those things right and um Getting those simple steps in place are going to make a difference. I I, I like to see uh, people we work with set it up for autopilot. Yeah, make the decisions exactly. about what you want, and then let let it from your paycheck that comes in your salary get it to siphon off where it needs to go to to hit your goals, and then it just becomes part of who you are. Yeah, and I agree. I love the autopilot situation there but also don't forget to actually understand what's happening don't just allow that to just don't don't just allow that to kind of just flow without constantly you know checking checking in in on it um and just making sure it's doing what it's supposed to be doing i think um we hand over responsibility for so much in our lives far Mm. too easily yes um and i think it's about you know really you know all those things you were talking about the inflation the compound interest all of those things Mm. they sound like they're they're so technical 
They're not. But, you know, find the mm. simplest way or the sim- or the person that can explain it to you in the simplest manner yeah. so that you can understand it because they are really simple concepts at their heart mm-hmm. um, and we allow ourselves to get really overwhelmed by it. And yeah. as soon as we get overwhelmed, that blocks us from information. And as you said, get comfortable about talking about it, Get it, talking about it around the dinner table, you know, in the car, driving your kids home from school or, you know, grandparents getting involved. I mean, that's um, – I, I, I won't get on my hobby horse, but uh, <laughs> we really just don't have enough in this in our school curriculum around no, this. It is yeah. such an important life skill and it is virtually non-existent. Yeah. You know, kids come out understanding algebra and chemical equations – but have not been given the opportunity to build skills. And it is a skill. It's not just the knowledge. It's the skill side of it to learn it in a safe way within guardrails so that when they get into the big old world, um, they they have some basis to move forward with because like any skill, you're not going to get it right the first time. But what, what we don't want is our young adults having a disaster the first time because they've had no experience and then suddenly they're out driving on the freeway. Um, so I think that that's a societal issue and it's one that um, hopefully together with my peers and colleagues and, and, and people who are willing to invest time in it, we can start to get through to government that we need to make change there and make space in the curriculum. But I want to circle all the way back if I can. Um, thank you for you know sharing your story and you, it's, it's rare for somebody to show their vulnerability in the way that you do, but so important because that's when it makes a di- it's when it shifts something for people when when you hear that um, not that you would wish other people to go through <laughs> what you've been through in a million years and I can't even begin to imagine what that experience was like but well that's why I do what I do I don't yeah. I don't ever like when you've been in the depths of the pit yeah you, the the number one thing is you don't ever want anybody else to have to experience it so no. you know I do what I do every day so that I can teach people there's a very different way to live and you can do it with really easy simple steps and please Please jump on and, and have a read of the books. They're fantastic. Your website is sheiqlife.com.au. So get on there and have a listen. And I'll put some links um, in the show notes as well so people can have a listen. Um, I thought I might um, finish off with a quote that you had in your book, which seems to, um, I, th- I think, round out what we've, we've spoken about today. And it's a Mahatma Gandhi quote. Keep your thoughts positive because your thoughts become your words. Keep your words positive because your words become your behaviour. Keep your behaviour positive because your behaviour becomes your habits. Keep your habits positive because your habits become your values. And keep your values positive because your values become your destiny. Bronwyn, thank you so much for today. It has been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thanks for sharing your story and your wisdom. And um, thank you to the listeners for your time. We really do appreciate it. That was another episode of Good Money Habits, brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. A reminder that this episode was general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and therefore may not be appropriate for you. It is recommended that you seek professional advice before making any significant financial decisions. If you want to find out more, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or head to www.lighthousecapital.com.au.